Okay, let's turn to First uh, Timothy, chapter six. We're going to be looking at a very short passage of scripture today, but one that's going to be very, very practical and will affect, I would say, ninety percent of you at least uh, directly. So let's turn to Timothy chapter six, and our subject today is going to be the diligent employee. So those who are employed need to listen up. Okay, let's read the first two verses of chapter 6. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters, must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. May God add a blessing to his word. Over the last few weeks we have seen from chapter 5 of First Timothy how believers should respond and interact with different folk in the church. We looked at the respect and dignity that is due to different ages and gender. We also saw how widows or or those in need are to be cared for in the church. And last week, we also looked at how elders are to be honoured, protected and appointed. And so Paul has been addressing different groups within the church, the local church itself. He spoke to Timothy, of course, and this is how the, what is to be practiced in the church. And in this brief passage we've read today, he turns his attention to yet another group. Paul addresses slaves. Now, don't get upset with that word. It's merely the Greek word doulos, which in the New Testament word designated a person under submission of another. And before we nod off, thinking that this is an ancient group of people that has absolutely nothing to do with me, please bear with me for a moment this morning. You see, this word doulos, or slave, as we have in our text, and often, actually, it is just put servant, 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 but it should be slave because it has different connotations. This word slave did not always have negative connotations attached to it as we tend to think. Sometimes it did, but not always. The word slave here, what we do is see it and we tend to associate with it the evils of 17th, 18th century right up to the present day slavery. We attach that to it and that is not a good way uh, to interpret scripture. As a matter of fact, being a doulos or a slave as we have here in our text could be a very honourable designation as this very same word describes the Lord Jesus. 
in serving his Father in heaven. We have that in um, Philippians 2, verse 7. You'll know the verse well. That Jesus, he took on the form of a bondservant, slave, doulos. On another occasion, during his ministry on earth, a Roman centurion had a conversation with Jesus and was kind of comparing himself with Jesus and Jesus with himself. Saying, you know, Lord, we are the same. And he said, for I too am a man under authority, doulos. And then he went on to say, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does that. A slave at Dulos was simply one who was obligated to obey orders and perform the duties of his master, the orders that master gave him. That's the meaning behind the word slave in our text. And I suggest that that description, even though from this ancient text, is not as foreign to us as we might think, as this aptly describes most of our lives in the workplace, right? In one way or another, we are obligated to obey orders. To obey the orders, to perform the duties that have been given to us by our masters or employers. And so, really, at the end of the day, not much changes, right? The pay rates would probably be a little bit different. But not too much changes. So these two verses are very relevant. And though this specific people group in our text, have long gone and their working conditions may well have been far from ideal, the righteous way of responding to those we serve, dare I say, remains the same. It's timeless for the Christian. You see, we live in a culture where work and how we relate to management, where our bosses or our employees, whatever you like to call employers, whoever you like to call them, is often, generally speaking, far from what God desires. Because generally it can't become a them and us kind of thing, you know. We see this in our culture, and sad to say, it can easily, so easily, brush off onto us. Where management and workers often pit themselves against one another. But as Christians, we must always remember that God not only highly values the legitimate work that we do, but he also highly values how we work and how we regard our employers. He values that. He takes note of that. This is why being a Christian, being a believer, is not merely about attending religious services on Sunday. For true Christianity is more about surviving and triumphing in the real world. And that real world is mostly experienced, dare I say again, in the workplace. You know it. I know it. Not so much in this pastoral position, but I know it. I've been there where you have. Working with hard men, working with difficult bosses and good bosses, all the, all the same. And so this is why believers need to know how to interact in this environment. And we need to know how to live out our faith at the coalface, I like to call it. And here Paul gives Timothy instructions for believers to follow. So that they may what? So that they may be like a, like a city on a hill, can we say. Shining their light and bringing glory to God when they are at work. There are two simple points in these verses. 
The first being, number one, is working for those who are not believers in verse 1. You know, the hardest part of Christian living or the Christian life is not getting down every day and reading the scriptures and praying. It's not putting in place healthy Christian disciplines. It's something far closer to us all. It's interacting and living out our faith in the world that we live in. And that, for most of us, is in our daily work environment. Because it's here you are interacting, as I said before, with the real world. It's there in the workplace that you you need to let your Christian light shine, and it's there that the Lord has providentially placed you so that you might shine the light for His glory. So how do we go about to accomplish that? What's the deal? All who are employed here will know that working under a manager or a boss who is not a Christian can vary greatly. It can vary from being pleasant to challenging to downright difficult. I know some of you have situations like that. Well, here in our text, I believe we have the first port of call. It's not the only port of call of how we're to interact in the workplace, but here's the first port of call that Christian employees need to heed in responding rightly whatever the circumstance or the situation you find yourself in. We're told in the first part of that verse, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honour. You know, when we see these words, under the yoke and slave and master, we tend to think these depict a very negative scenario, which I hinted at before. But all these expressions, even in Paul's day, did not always mean bad, evil or abusive relationships. When we think of the word slave and master, we think of a guy with a whip and we've seen movies, etc., etc. And uh, so we tend to say push that 17th, 18th, 19th century slavery back onto the text. Well, no, that didn't always mean that. For example, being under the yoke simply means being answerable and under the authority of someone. That's what it meant. Slave, as we've discussed, was simply where a person was required to carry out the certain duties for another Why? Because you're under their authority. And the word master in the Greek is the word despotis. This is where we get the word, English word despot from. Now this does not mean first and foremost a cruel, harsh and abusive person as we would use in our modern day English the word despot for. Actually Jesus is called a despotis. In 2 Timothy 2.21 he's called Master, despotist. So all this is to say that in this verse we have some clear instructions to each of us who work for an unbelieving employer. First of all, I want you to see that there is a personal relationship with our employer that God takes note of and because of that so should we. Please note the words, their own, in that first part of that verse. Their own. 
What this means is the slaves are to regard their own masters. In other words, this clearly implies that there is a personal bond, a link, whether you like it or not, with your unbelieving boss. This bond is not a spiritual bond like you would have with a Christian employer that we will get to in verse 2. But this personal bond is a bond that calls for your duty. And the duty you are personally bound to perform for your unsaved employer is what? Is to regard your own master as worthy of all honor. That's what you are bound to as long as you are employed by this person. Now, as we look at the word regard in this verse, it does not mean that you have to like your employer. And I'm sure some of you do not like your employer. It doesn't mean that word regard that you have to like him. It doesn't mean that you have to have a fuzzy, warm feeling inside about your employer. Even if they are downright nasty and vile, your regard, your respect for them is not to be based on feelings, but it's to be based on their place of authority in your life in the workplace for as long as you're working for them. You see, when we understand correctly our personal bond of duty toward our unsaved employer, we will find them worthy of honour for the position that they hold in our lives while we're working for them. And so as we do honour, as we this word's come up before, by the way, as we do honour widows, chapter 3 and, and uh, verse 3 of chapter 5, as we're to honour elders in verse 17 of chapter 5, because of their position, because of their place, their station in life, our unsaved employer has a position in our lives that is worthy of honour as well. Of course, this honour does not include financial support as it did in the other cases. It means they are to receive respect and our duty-bound service. Because they are what? They are our superiors in the workplace, no matter how we might feel or how good or vile they may be. The Apostle Peter elaborates further on this. I call it a theology of work. And I just want to read that actually. First Peter 2.18. Got your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter 2, chapter 18 and verse, to verse 20. And it says here, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. They are, same deal. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Verse 19, For this finds favour, if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favour with God. So Peter says the same thing. But then we can ask the question, why? Why? Why are we to regard our unsaved employers as being worthy of all honour? The answer so that the man, so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. 
You see, folks, the workplace environment is the coalface of your ministry. Your attitude, your language, your behaviour, your work ethic will always affect in one way or another how people value or devalue our God and our doctrine. The gospel that we believe and the gospel that we love will always affect it. When you despise your employers or cheat on your timesheets or or negatively mouth off about your boss who may be a vile guy, it will be soon said about us, believe it or not, or at least thought about us and and the attitude of others. And that person, and he or she calls himself or herself a Christian and then using our lack of respect as the fuel that fires up their antagonism, they will scoff at God and any that follow him. That's what happens. The nation of Israel did this. This is nothing new. This is a principle of life where those who despise God's creatures and employers in this case, the nation of Israel did this. When When they disobeyed God and they were rebellious toward him and their attitude was antagonistic toward him, And actually Paul picks this up, he quotes Isaiah the prophet, and Paul picks this up in Romans 2 verse 23 and verse 24. And this is what Paul says when he points the finger, and rightly so, at the nation of Israel, and he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Same deal. That's what happens. You see, folks, the need to live out your faith in the workplace is vital. This is the greatest opportunity for evangelism, the greatest opportunity to speak well of your God and Saviour by how you respect your employer, no matter who or what they are. Paul in his day saw this great need over and over and he wrote to Titus, which as Alex has reminded us already, Um, some time back and he said to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verse 9 and 10 urge bond slaves there's the word again doulos to be subject to their own masters and everything to be well pleasing not argumentative not pilfering that's not nicking stuff not pilfering but showing all good faith that listen to this that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in every respect. Because if we do do those things, you know what will happen? You will blaspheme the name of God. You'll do the opposite. So let us all work in, who work in such an environment take heed and obey this command. Our second point today is working for those who are believers. We see this in verse 2. It seems in Timothy's time there were also those in the assembly uh, who were employed by fellow believers which can be very special. And I know we've got people in our congregation who are employed by Christians, by believers. That can be a very, very special thing. But when the special deals and conditions are expected, simply because the spiritual bond between employee and employer, when those special deals and conditions are expected because of that, That's when things can turn to custard as it is abusing the bond in Christ they have for personal gain. 
This is the kind of thing that can happen. And, and it, it can happen the other way around too, not only be, be for, between employers to employers, but for employers to employees. I well remember my brother and I, we had an agricultural uh, contracting business and a Christian farmer employed our services. This was a new client and his money was as good as anyone else's. And so we went all out to please this guy and uh, that was fine. But, but things took a turn for the worse when he expected special deals and uh, conditions at the expense of ourselves and our company for the job we're about to do. He presumed upon our Christian fellowship, our Christian unity, the right to expect mates' rates, can we say, that he would never have asked any unbelieving contractor. And so this is something of what Paul is saying here. Because there is always a temptation for believers with Christian employers to expect special treatment based on their equality and their unity in Christ. There's always that temptation. It may well, in the ancient text here, it may well have been there was a leader in the church that was employed by a less mature Christian in the Ephesus assembly. You just imagine that. If I or Peter or Bill or, or Steve or, or, or was, was employed by, uh, by Jared or by James. And so we kind of take that relationship. It would be tempting to take the relationship. I'm a leader in the assembly. You're a saint and you're under me here, under our authority here, under the elders' authority. And it's kind of easy to take that to the workplace. This is what seemed to be happening at Ephesus. But the Word of God says, no way is that to happen. You're equal in Christ, but in the workplace, no way. You have a superior. Some might argue as and say, didn't, but didn't Paul say in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ. So doesn't that make us all one in Christ? So whether it's the assembly or the workplace or wherever, we're all equal. What we need to understand here is this verse in Galatians, although none of these different roles and positions in life bar us from being spiritually one, they're not. We are spiritually one, and we are equal in Jesus Christ in that spiritual sense. But this verse does not eliminate who we are as people. It does not eliminate our individual sexuality. We have ladies here, we have men here. We have Indians here, we have Europeans here. And you could go all down the track, it does not eliminate that. Who we are as people. Or even our social status. The same is for slaves and masters. We are either still employees or employers when it comes to our work. This verse gives no rights to those who have believers as their masters to presume upon their spiritual equality and fail to honour and respect them as employers. Gives them no right at all. Why? Because they are brethren. There's the reason. Because they are brethren. That is, we are not to be disrespectful. That word has, has the idea of, we're not to think down on. Not to think less of. 
than who they really are. And use our unity in Christ as a means to treat them as equals in the workplace. It's a bit like mum and dad and the kids, right? You know, we're all one family and um, everyone in the family, kids included, have the same name. They live in the same house. They enjoy the same privilege as the same family members does. But as children of their parents, children should never, ever call their mother and father by their first name. I I hear this going down a lot in our culture. Perish the thought that would ever happen amongst believers. See, for a child to call their parent by their first name, it's treating them as an equal, and they're not equal. That's abusing your place in the family and being disrespectful. It's thinking less of your parents than you should. They are not your equal, hence you honour and respect them because they are your parents and address them as mum and dad or some other equivalent respectful title. The same goes for employers who are brethren. We are to honour them for who they are in the workplace and never think down on them and treat them with a, a mateship mentality just because they are believers. We're not to do that. So how should employees, Christian employees, respond in the workplace to their Christian employers? They are to serve them all the more. You see that? Serve them all the more. In other words, if we are to serve our unbelieving employers diligently, how much more should we serve and go all out and go the extra mile and give our Christian bosses a full measure of our time Service that is well pressed down with extra effort rather than less. That's how it should be. Why? Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. What Paul is saying here is, it's a wonderful privilege. It's it's so beneficial to be working for a fellow believer. As a matter of fact, it's beneficial to both employee and employer. And the Bible teaches in Colossians 4.1, by the way, if you are an employer here, the responsibility of masters, despotists, is to treat your servants, slaves, workers, employees fairly and justly. Why? Knowing, in Colossians 4.1, that they too have a master in heaven. But here the emphasis on the motive for why Workers are to serve Christian employers all the more. It's because they are brothers in Christ. They are believers in Christ. And they are also beloved. Do you see that word? Beloved. That is, they are loved by God. Loved by God. And Paul says the same thing in a different format in Galatians 16. Let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see that there? You talk about equality. There's no such thing as equality in many ways. Not in this. God says, yeah, you're good good to all people, but make sure you give heaps of extra doses of goodness to the people of the household of faith. Now, of course, as we think about all this, no matter who we work for, there is an undergirding motive. 
to be diligent workers, right? We all want to be diligent workers. And you know this well, I am sure. But let me close with this word of exhortation from Colossians 3, 22 and 25. I'll put it up on the screen and I'll read it and you follow along. Finally, brethren, uh, sorry, slaves in all things, those who are your masters on earth, sorry, those who are masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your, do your work heartily for as, the Lord, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So there you have it. We're to obey those who are your masters on earth, not just externally, but as those who are serving primarily the Lord and no matter what circumstances we're in. I hope this word has been a a timely word for us and a reminder to us not only how to work and how to treat our employees, employers but also that God values the legitimate work that you do. He really does. It's not just something that's out of God's mind but he also values how you work and then treat your employees as you serve him. May we stand, I'll close with a benediction. This, I'm sure you'll appreciate the shorter message today being so hot and uh, we can be on our way. Don't forget there's, there's some tea, coffee, etc. and I think there's icy water back there to drink after. This is from 2 Corinthians 13 and 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. God bless you all.